0: SECTION 9 OF BUFF, A COLLIE, AND OTHER DOG STORIES. THIS IS A LIBRIVOX RECORDING. ALL LIBRIVOX RECORDINGS ARE IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. FOR MORE INFORMATION OR TO VOLUNTEER, PLEASE VISIT LIBRIVOX.ORG. RECORDING BY ELLEN Preckle BUFF, A COLLIE, AND OTHER STORIES BY ALBERT Payson Terhune. SOMETHING. A DOG IS ONLY A DOG, BUT A COLLIE IS A COLLIE. SAYS THE SCOTTISH PROVERB, A COLLIE HAS THE BRAIN OF A MAN AND THE WAYS OF A WOMAN this is the story of dick Snowden's collie jock and of something you can believe the tale or not as you choose but if you know collies you will think twice before you pooh pooh it as rankly impossible moreover in its chief and strangest happenings it chances to be true it began when Dick Snowden's pretty girl-wife was lying in the centre of a huge white bed, and when she was watching the world glide past her, and not much caring how soon it might glide altogether away from her. Cuddled close to her in the enormous bed was a white-swathed bundle of tiny humanity that smelled of talcum powder and of sachet, and was a week old. The coming of baby Maurice into the ken of mankind had well-nigh cost the life of Clyda Snowden, her girl-mother, There were no complications, there was nothing the learned doctors could put a name to, but Clyda had suffered much and had been through much. She was very, very tired. So tired was she that it did not seem worth while to pick up the bulky burden of life again. It was much easier to lie still with half-shut eyes and feel herself drifting lazily out of life. Dully she knew the baby was hers, that it was the precious little daughter for whose advent she and Dick had for months been planning so happily. She knew, too, that the lean and bronzed man who spent so many miserable hours at her bedside was her worshipped husband, Dick. Yes, she was quite sane, but she was so tired that none of the real-life things, in which usually she revelled, were worth living for. Mentally she knew that the future was bright for her and Dick and for their baby. Physically she was not interested in anything but drowsing. It was on the afternoon of the eighth day of baby Marisa's life that Dick came into the room carrying a covered wicker basket. Clyda had no interest in him or in what he was carrying, even when he set down the basket on the edge of the bed and lifted its cover. Sleepily she looked at him, ready to drop into another doze. Into the opened basket went Dick Snowden's hand to take out the contents. But the contents saved him the effort out from the depths of the basket sprang a fluffy gold and white ball of dynamic energy it wavered dizzily on the wicker edge then catapulted clumsily to the counterpane where it caught sight of Clyda's colorless little face set in a halo of tumbled sunlit hair with the awkward canter of a badly made patent toy the ball of fluff danced sidewise up the counterpane until it reached the white little face which it proceeded to lick ecstatically with a very small and very pink tongue by this time Clyda's weary brain had registered the fact that the new arrival was a two months old collie pup also that it was doubtless the same collie pup which dick had promised a month ago to buy for her the gift was one on which Clyda had set her heart from the day she and her husband had chanced to pass by some neighboring collie kennels and had seen a litter of month-old puppies playing with their dam in one of the wire runs instantly she had taken a violent fancy to this particular pup it was then too young to leave its mother but dick had secured the owner's promise to sell it to him as soon as the youngster should be weaned the promise had delighted clyda she had named the puppy jock and had decreed that he should be baby's guardian and chum yet since then so many things had happened and now the arrival of the once coveted pup meant nothing to Clyda at all except that she did not like to have her wan face licked nor to be patted at by a set of clumsy and shapeless white forepaws she frowned slightly and hoped dick would take the obstreperous puppy away but at sight of her frown the puppy evidently mistook the slight facial contortion for an invitation to play for he braced himself on all four shapeless legs and made threatening little rushes at the frowning face accenting his attacks with ferocious baby barks in spite of herself clyda felt a vague amusement at the pup's silly antics she reached out a weak white hand to pet him at the touch jock forgot he was a lion or whatever other furious wild beast he was pretending to be He remembered only that he was very young and very far from home and mother, and that the caress of the tired hand was sweet. With a cluck of contentment he cuddled close to Clyda's face and curled up for a nap. Dick, glad to have aroused his apathetic wife's interest to even so mild an extent, stooped to pick up the puppy and carry him away. But Jock was in no hurry to go. So piteously did he look at Clyda for rescue that she bade her husband leave him there for the time whereat by way of showing his thanks jock began to play again with her hand as it lay idle on the quilt up to this time everybody had moved on tiptoe about the sick-room and had talked in undertones but jock was no respecter of silence he gambled and barked to his heart's content partly amused and partly annoyed by his bumptiousness clyda found herself for the first time unable to sink at will into that dreamy apathy of hers it is hard to dream when a tiny furry whirlwind is charging at one or is professing to believe that one's white fingers are a mortal foe to be nibbled and threatened thus it was against her own will that Clyda snowdon was shaken from her semi-coma after that youth and nature combined to keep her from sinking back into it probably she would have gotten well anyhow and certainly a noisy collie pup is not to be prescribed as a temporary roommate for a sick girl but the fact remained that Clyda turned the corner that very day and forthwith grew better she had not discovered a new zest in life her husband and her newborn child furnished that but she had been deprived of the luxury of drifting away action and annoyance and clownish gambols had chanced to supply the needed impetus to bring her back to normality yet dick and she always attributed her rally to the arrival of jock and they loved him accordingly instead of living in the green-painted kennel in the garden and seeing his owners for only a casual hour or so each day he was brought up in the house and with hourly human companionship that sort of thing has a queerly humanizing influence on a dog especially if the dog be a thoroughbred collie from earliest puppyhood jock learned to know the human voice in all its phases and to read from experience its many shades of meaning he learned too from constant hearing the meanings of many simple words and phrases he learned still more of human nature, all of which was wholly natural and has occurred to hundreds of housebred collies. From the first, Jock adopted baby Maurice as his particular deity. He would lie for hours at the foot of her crib, or would walk in sedate slowness at the side of her perambulator, in preference to a woodland race or even a romp with Dick or Clyda. Yet between him and Dick there was a strange bond of sympathy. Dearly as the dog loved Clyda and Maurice, he was closer to Dick than to either of them. He would lie with his eyes on the man's face, watching its every change, and seemed to be studying him to the very soul. Even as a puppy, Jock used to do this. A scowl on Dick's brow would bring him forward with a rush to offer canine sympathy or to rub his nose consolingly against his master's hand. He would go into ecstasies of joyous excitement when Dick laughed or smiled, and as the dog grew older he seemed able to see past mere facial expression, and to read Dick's varying moods, even when those moods gave no visible sign of expression. All of this seemed nothing short of magic to the Snowdens, though it is a common enough phenomenon to anyone who has been much with Collies. It was when baby Maurice was a harum-scarum girl of four, and when Jock was a stately giant in his early maturity, that something happened which the Snowdens never tired of talking about. Dick started at sunrise for a day's trout fishing along a brook which ran through a wild tract of meadow and forest, some three miles above the Snowdon Place. Jock, as his master set forth, galloped enthusiastically ahead, eager for the prospective walk. But Dick whistled him back. The man did not desire to have wary trout scared away by the occasional plunges of a seventy-pound collie into the brook. No, he said, as if talking to a fellow human, not today, old man. Stay here and look after the place crestfallen yet philosophical jock trotted back to the veranda and lay down his deep brown eyes following pathetically the receding figure of his master hoping against hope that dick might relent and summon him to follow then maurice came down to breakfast with Clyda, and jock proceeded to devote himself to their society it was about four o'clock that afternoon when Clyda was awakened from a nap on the porch by the sudden rising of the collie from his resting-place on the mat near her jock had been asleep yet something had startled him in an instant from his repose and had changed a sedately slumbering collie into a creature of puppy-like excitability every hair on the dog's shaggy ruff was a bristle his eyes were glinting as with pain he burst into a salvo of frantic barking and dashed across to where clyda lay catching the hem of the astonished woman's skirt in his teeth he tugged at her dress backing away with a suddenness that all but threw her to the floor "Jock," expostulated Clyda, recovering her balance and trying to extricate the skirt from his grip, "Jock, have you gone crazy?" Jock's answer was to release his hold on the skirt hem and to gallop off the porch and onto the drive which led to the highway. There he halted, barked in imperious summons, and darted back to Clyda, catching her skirt again between his jaws; he sought to draw her out into the driveway with him. Laughing at her pet's odd behaviour, Clyda went down the steps to the drive instantly jock let go of her skirt and ran fifty feet toward the main road there halting again he turned and barked as the woman still did not follow he ran back seized her skirt and his teeth again and tried to draw her onward this time clyda did not refuse to follow a queer notion had possessed her a notion that jock was not doing these unaccountable things for a mere lark or to lure her into a romp it was not at all like the dignified collie to behave this way calling to her brother who was reading indoors to join her she set forth in the wake of the dog the moment the two humans started toward him jock ceased to bark in that frantic and panic urged fashion he wheeled and galloped off straight across country every few hundred yards he would pause to make sure the others were still following and to let them come nearer then he would be off again a wearisome walk he led the puzzled Clyda and her grumbling brother in a precise line he travelled turning aside for no hillock or rock or tangle of undergrowth for goodness sake panted the brother once as he looked ruefully down at his buckskin shoes which had just plodded through a corner of swampland for goodness sake Clyda, let's stop this fool ramble the idiot of a dog will probably halt in front of some oak where he's treed a cat and he'll want us to dislodge his quarry for him on a red-hot day like this what's the earthly sense of following a-he hasn't treed a cat was Clyda's reply he hasn't treed anything he's been with me all day I don't know why he is acting like this, but I know Jock, and I know he's got some good reason for being so eager for me to follow him. If you're tired— Oh, I'll trail along if you're going to, grunted her brother. Only if he leads us over into the next county, and turns around and leads us back, just for fun, well, I warn you, I'll guy you for the rest of your days for being so silly as to— Hello, he broke off. Here's where we'll have to wade. They had come out of the woods at the verge of a wide brook, Clyde gave a little start as she saw it, and lost her colour. "'Why, this is Snakebrook,' she cried. "'Dick and I have been here a dozen times, but we've always come by way of the road. I didn't know it was this direction. I, "'Well?' queried her brother. "'Even at that, what's the excitement? There's nothing so very dramatic, is there, in coming upon Snakebrook? "'It's—it's where Dick came to fish to-day,' said Clyda. her pallor increasing. "'Jock has led us here, and—and that's the thrilling end of our quest?' interrupted her brother with a growl of disgust jock got lonely for his master and he's dragged us through marsh and brambles all this way just for a sweet family reunion lord no contradicted Clyda, her voice not quite steady no see he hasn't crossed the brook he's running along it on this side and now he's stopped again for us to follow him come she set off at a run along the pebbly and winding margin of the brook jock as she started wheeled again and vanished into a copse of shrubbery which ran down from a steep bank to the edge of the water ten seconds later the two heard the collie's voice upraised once more this time in a quavering wolf howl of anguish and no longer did the undergrowth crackle at his charging progress he had come to a halt somewhere the curs stumbled into a hornet's nest guided the brother laughing loudly to subdue a prickly feeling that ran along his spine at the sound of that eerie cry but clyda did not answer she was plunging headlong through the bushes panting and gasping with her own violent efforts to reach the spot where jock awaited her out in a little clearing beside the brook and at the base of a ten-foot cliff bank she came upon the dog he was standing guard over a body that sprawled inertly half in the water at the cliff foot a splintered fishing rod at its side there lay dick snowden his leg broken in two places by his tumble from the bank in falling his head had struck against a water-edged boulder the impact had caused concussion of the brain nor did the victim recover consciousness until an hour after they had gotten him home people who did not understand collies used to smile politely and lift their brows when the snowdens told how jock had brought aid to the stricken master of whose plight the dog could not possibly have known through any explainable channels some of these people agreed with klyda's brother who always insisted there was nothing mysterious or occult about the matter. They explained that Jock had waxed lonely for his absent master, and had tried to coax Clyda into going with him to meet the returning fisherman, and that the accident to Dick had been a mere coincidence quite outside the dog's calculations. They did not explain how Jock knew the precise direction in which Dick had gone that day, nor why, during Snowden's previous and succeeding absences from home, the collie made no such effort to follow him. Clyda and Dick did not bother to argue with these sceptics. They knew Jock. Other people did not. It wasn't coincidence, was all Clyda would say when outsiders sought to convince her. It was... something. And so the years went on at the Snowden home, pleasantly and uneventfully. Baby Maurice was a leggy and big-eyed girl of nine, and Jock was in the full hale prime of latter middle age. Dick and Clyda were sweethearts as ever. They and their child and their huge gold-and-white dog formed a close corporation that made home life very beautiful for all four of them then over the smugly complacent land rang a bugle-call half the world was sick unto death with the hun pestilence and america alone could stay the hideous diseases assault on humanity america alone could cure a dying world to achieve this heaven-sent miracle the lives of thousands of brave men were needed and at the terrible blast of the bugle-call these men responded in millions Dick Snowden was one of them. There were tears at the Snowden home when Dick first went thence to the officers' training camp. There was dire loneliness after he had gone. But there were no tears when, at the end of his last furlough, Captain Richard Snowden said good-bye to his family and embarked for France. There were no tears then. There was a hero-smile on Clyda's drawn lips. Baby Maurice tried to smile, too, and at least she did not cry, which was very brave indeed jock looked long and gravely up into snowdon's forcedly gay face and laid his splendid head against his master's khaki knee as dick said to him good-bye old chap take care of them till i come back you're the man of the house remember while i'm gone no there were no tears when captain dick snowdon sailed gallantly away to fight the gray-clad pests which were engulfing the world but there was a deadly and bitter loneliness that swooped down on the once merry little household and gripped it by the throat a loneliness that deepened and grew more cruelly hard to bear as the dreary weeks sagged on jock with his queer collie sixth sense felt acutely the changed atmosphere of the place he sought in a thousand unobtrusive ways to console and cheer his mistress and maurice and he seemed to have understood dick's parting charge to him to assume the responsibilities of the man of the house always jock had been a fiery guardian of the home in the manner of warding off intruders nowadays his jealous guardianship became him an obsession voluntarily abandoning his lifelong nightly resting place on the rug outside the door of clyda's room he took to sleeping on the veranda nor was his sleep heavy a dozen times a night the wakeful clyda could hear the big dog get to his feet and start off on a thorough patrol of the grounds this sentry go accomplished he would circle the porch and return to his doormat bed for another fitful snooze but the very slightest sound was enough to awaken him and bring him at once to fierce alertness the step of a belated wayfarer on the high road beyond the faintest stir of one of the sleepers within the house any of a hundred negligible noises of the night sufficed to rouse him to his duty in the daytime jock was seldom more than arm's length from clyda or maurice with cold suspicion his melancholy dark eyes would follow the motions of each casual visitor or tradesman Yes jock was taking his job seriously on the rare occasions when a letter from france reached the place he knew of its arrival before the mail was sorted it would thrill him and set him to barking wildly and to scampering about the house like a joy crazed puppy he seemed to know the occasion was one of rapture for them all the minute the letters are handed in at the door clyda boasted to her brother even before any of us have time to look them over jock always knows whether or not there's a letter from dick why shouldn't he demanded the skeptic a collie has a wolf's power of scent he can smell the touch of dick's hand on the envelope it's perfectly normal no denied Clyda musingly it isn't normal it's something then late of a september night the household was jolted from a slumber by a clangor of barking from the porch to one who understands collies there is as much difference in a dog's various modes of barking as in the inflections of a human voice for example, there is the gay bark of greeting, there's the sharply imperative bark of challenge. there is the noisily swaggering bark of sheer excitement, and there is the acute and agonized bark that tells of stark emotion. Jock's bark to-night had the temper of that with which long ago he had summoned Clyda to the aid of her injured husband at Snake Brook, and the sound went through the lonely wife's soul like a knife-thrust. She sprang out of bed and, in dressing-gown and slippers, ran out to the porch as on that earlier day jock was awaiting her in fevered excitement catching the hem of her wrapper he tugged then dropping the wrapper he galloped up the driveway and wheeled about to face her with a bark of summons to-night clyda needed no second invitation to follow him bewildered trembling yet trusting to the collie's intuition she stumbled along in the direction jock led and leaving the driveway he was travelling due northeast well did clyda know she was moving northeastward for by dint of compass and maps she had long since figured out for herself the approximate direction of france in relation to her home and always she faced in that direction when she knelt to pray for dick for perhaps half a mile the dog continued his progress at first in mad eagerness but presently in growing indecision and irresolution at last he stopped sniffed the air through vertically lifted nostrils then trotted back to clyda head a droop tail dragging Every line of his grand body expressing the utmost miserable dejection, he crept up to Clyda and crouched before her, his head on her foot. He shuddered as if in pain, then whimpered softly, lifting his head for a moment and peering to the northeast. He had failed; he had awakened with the sudden knowledge of his master's peril, he had followed the urge of the call, and all at once he had realized that for some reason he could not hope to lead his mistress to the man who so sorely needed her aid, perplexed, heartsick he had crawled back helpless to do more again clyda's brother scoffed at his sister's certainty that something was amiss with snowdon so did all the others to whom the unhappy woman told the tale they still scoffed at the idea of any premonition on the part of the dog but there was an awed note behind their scoffing when a few weeks later a shaky scrawl was received from the absentee a scrawl written in a base hospital i am laid by the heels for a day or two by a handful of rather nasty little shrapnel bites that herr fritz sprayed me with three nights ago during a reconnoitre nothing serious so you're not to worry your dear self i'll be as good as new in a week or two the surgeon says so he says i'll be lucky if i'm able to claim a wound chevron on the strength of such a piker injury here's a funny bit of mental delusion that may amuse you When I toppled over and lay there in no man's land, before my men could find me and bring me in, there was an ungodly lot of racket from the Hun batteries. It almost deafened me, but through it all I believed I could hear, as distinctly as ever I heard anything, the wild barking of old Jock. Wasn't that a quaint trick for a wounded man's brain to play? Jock has a pretty thunderous bark, but its echo could hardly travel three thousand miles and reach me above the roar of the Boche batteries. Yet I heard it it wasn't his usual bark either it sounded the way it did the time maurice fell down the well and as it sounded when the house caught fire in the night and he roused us barely in time to put out the blaze i must have been a bit delirious of course but it gave me a queer homey feeling to hear the dear old fellow's voice even if i didn't hear it clyda looked at the date on the letter then she subtracted three days therefrom and computed the time difference between her home and northern france Then she turned to the little desk calendar on which, superstitiously, she had marked with a cross the date of her awakening by Jock. After that she showed her brother the letter and the calendar. As I have said, he still scoffed, but there was something of awe in his manner. It was a shock to Clyda to know her adored soldier was wounded, yet it was also a joy to know that he was not only in no danger from his wound, but that he was kept, perforce, out of battle for a time. This knowledge and the relief from her weeks of foreboding gave clyda a curious sense of peace which had not been hers in many a day her spirits rebounded to a lightness which was almost hysterical as the day wore on her unnatural gaiety and her sense of nearness to dick increased early in the evening she left the house and strolled out into the white autumn moonlight she was restless and she wanted solitude and exercise jock rose from his bed on the doormat and ranged alongside her for the anticipated walk crossing the stretch of moon-soaked turf the two made their way toward a rustic summer-house that stood on a knoll at the far end of the grounds here with dick they had been wont to sit daily to watch the sunset and to the old trysting place clyda now strolled jock like herself had been gay all day ever since the arrival of the pencil scrawl from dick it was with difficulty now that he curbed his exuberant pace to keep time with hers they reached the summer-house on the knoll there Clyde stood for an instant in silence to gaze dreamily over the moon-swept hills. The night was deathly still. Then, of a sudden, the silences were shattered by a sound that wailed forth in hideous cadences from hill to hill, re-echoing until the placid night fairly screamed with it. Clyde gasped aloud at the horror of the plangent din, and she spun about to locate its cause. There, in the moonlight, twenty feet away from her, stood Jock, the dog's every muscle was tense as if with torture his head was flung back from his cavernous throat was issuing a series of long-drawn howls slow ear-splitting raucous howls of mortal anguish jock panted Clyda in swift terror jock at the same moment in a base hospital near meren a nurse was drawing the top of a cotton sheet over a face whose eyes would no longer need the light of day the nurse was saying to a fellow-worker as she performed the grim duty poor fellow he was doing so nicely too till the blood-poison set in say nora did i hear a dog howling just then or are my nerves going bad at the quick appeal in clyda's voice jock ceased his hideous lament and stood trembling with head bent almost to the ground then through her moment of dread that same strange sense of nearness to her husband came back upon the woman but fiftyfold stronger than ever before since his departure through no volition of her own she heard herself whisper timidly dick as she spoke the collie raised his head as in joyous greeting he came swiftly over to where his mistress stood but it was not towards her he was moving nor was it at her that his rapturously welcoming gaze was turned the dog was hurrying with eyes aglint and plumy tail waving toward a spot directly beside her thus had he advanced many a time to greet his master when Dick had returned from brief absences, and when Jock had seen him standing there, with his arm thrown protectingly about his wife, and his eyes smiling down into hers. To humans, the tensely waiting woman would have seemed to be standing there in the moonlight alone, but it was not into empty space that the advancing dog gazed so eagerly. No one, seeing the collie then, could have doubted for an instant that Jock was looking at—something. End of section 9